Let us pray. So, Father, we do indeed pray, even as we have just sung, that our lives would be truly and wholly consecrated to you, the one who has given us life and breath and all that we are. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you this morning, and good morning to everyone watching via the live stream. We're so glad that you've joined us as well. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices of Scripture on them and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 31. Today is the second of two Sundays during which my focus is stewardship, especially stewardship of our finances, although stewardship encompasses much more than just money. Last Sunday, we looked together at the tragic example of the rich young man from Matthew 19 as we talked about trusting God's provision. With this young man, we saw he was unwilling to surrender his worldly possessions to follow Jesus. We then contrasted this rich young man's unwillingness to surrender all to Jesus to the widow in 2 Kings chapter 4 who poured out her oil her only possession that she had of any wealth or of any value in obedience to what the Lord said through the prophet Elisha. And because of her surrender and obedience, she experienced God's miraculous provision far beyond what she could have ever imagined. We also looked last Sunday at the contrast of the believers in Macedonia as we read of them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and how despite their severe poverty and affliction, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and they gave with incredible generosity. What we saw is that financial stewardship, like every aspect of the Christian's life, begins with surrender. We heard that word over and over last Sunday. Surrender, yielding willingly to the Lord and to his ways. Surrender to God who is the source of all that we are and all that we have. It's a matter of truly recognizing that all of this, as 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says, all of this, all that we have is from God. And this recognition and this kind of surrender leads to joyful, willing surrender and truly trusting his provision, God's provision in every way for our life, and for our salvation. Today I want us to spend some time focusing on, again, 2 Chronicles 31 and giving priority to God's provision. So last week we talked about trust. This week we're talking about priorities. We'll focus on 2 Chronicles 31, which is an incredibly rich and enlightening passage of Scripture for this focus. And it's also a passage that many of us may not be familiar with. By way of background, 2 Chronicles 31 takes place during the first year of the reign of King Hezekiah. And what is recorded here in God's word takes place after King Hezekiah cleanses the temple which had been defiled, restores proper worship as prescribed in God's holy law, followed by a celebration of the Passover. And this special celebration of the Passover went far beyond the number of days required for a Passover celebration because it was a time of profound extended worship among the people of God. 
and Hezekiah's invitation, interestingly, to participate in this Passover, which had not rightly been observed for some time, extended not only to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, but also to the remnant of those who remained in the northern kingdom, the tribes, the remnant of the tribes of the northern kingdom, most of whom have been swept into captivity. We read about this in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. So the couriers went from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. However, some men of Asher, of Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So this is speaking of the northern tribe remnant. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. And many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great assembly. And here was the result of them coming. Second Chronicles 30, 25 through 27. The whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites and the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel and the sojourners who lived in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. Essentially, what we see here is a season of revival, of renewal among God's people, and God's refreshing coming to them as they worship him. What we see here is that godly worship leads to godly action and choices because this didn't stop with the conclusion of the special observance of the Passover. Rather, things continued because you see these people, God's people, had been in the presence of the Lord. Did you hear that? They had been in the presence of the Lord. And when they and when we truly come into and experience God's presence, we are changed. God never leaves us the same as we were before. But he transforms us and he conforms us more and more to his holy character. And that is exactly what we see happening here in Second Chronicles. Godly worship time truly spent in God's holy presence will lead and empower us, will empower you and me in godly living, godly action and godly life cho choices through which we are more fully surrendered to God and to God's priorities in our lives. We see this in five specific ways here in the Old Testament reading from 2 Chronicles 31. Five specific ways that I want to briefly touch on here this morning. The first thing we see is that as we give priority to God, the worship of God and God's provision, idols are cast down. Verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 31 says this, Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the Asherim and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh, until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. At first glance, we read this and them breaking down idols, and we say, well, that, that doesn't apply 
To me, it doesn't apply to us in our day. We don't have a shira poles and pagan altars in our homes, in our community. But let's talk for a moment about what an idol really is. An idol is anything, hear this, anything which we assign value or honor to worship to, value or honor or worship which belongs to God and God alone. Pastor Tim Keller, writing about conversion of the heart, uses this story from when he was in college campus ministry. Many years ago when I was in college, I was part of a Christian fellowship. And there was a young man who joined up and it shocked us all. This young man was famous on the campus for being incredibly promiscuous, and he had the looks to go with it. He was handsome and charismatic. And then to our surprise, he came into the fellowship where he declared that he's now a Christian, and he forswears his promiscuous past, and he's going to live a chaste and pure life. <clears throat> he threw himself into the Christian activities, and everyone said, wow, this is real change. However, it wasn't long before we came to realize that this young man in every group, any committee, any Bible study, whether he was the leader or not, he had to be the leader. He always sought control. There was, a power, there was power struggle after power struggle. And after a while, it became clear that when he was promiscuous and active in that life, it really wasn't about his promiscuity. It was about power. He would go after some girl until she fell for him and then lost all interests. It was about power. When he came into the church, he suddenly adopted all the Christian beliefs, the statements of faith and Christian practices. He stopped living in promiscuity, but deep down inside, he still wanted power, power in relationships. And then Keller continues, deep down inside, every one of our hearts is saying, if I have money, if I have approval, if I have power, if I have comfort, if I have control, if I have romance, every one of our hearts needs that deeper conversion from the idols to the living God. Power, money, approval, comfort, control, romance, we could go on and on and on. I love visiting the Walters Museum in Baltimore, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful museum of both art and antiquities. And the Walters has a large, large section of um, ancient Near Eastern art and antiquities, which includes um, religious items from Mesopotamia and Samaria and all of those regions. And they have little figurines of Baal and Asherah, various fertility goddesses, all from the Old Testament era. And I look at these little figurines, and it seems so incredibly silly when you look at them, so absurd that anyone would place their trust in these little idols, these little carved images, that anyone would worship these, these graven images. And yet, let's face it, our idols, even though they may not take the form of figurines, they're just as absurd and they're just as ridiculous when they come into the spotlight of the greatness and the holiness of God. And there is a reason, hear me, there is a reason why tearing down their idols was the first thing that happens here 
in chapter 31. Because just like those ancient Israelites, until we renounce the idols in our lives, the things, anything that takes the place in our lives that must be set apart for God and God alone, until we renounce these things and take the intentional action to see them cast down, crushed, and utterly destroyed, we will never reach that full place of surrender to God and his work in our lives. And apart from getting to that place of full surrender, we are still held in some type of bondage by these idols where God's will and God's heart is to make us totally holy and completely free in him. Christopher J.H. Wright writes this about idols. The worst thing about idols, as the Hebrew scriptures so tirelessly point out, is that they are utterly useless when you need them the most. So whether it be that figurine in the ancient Near East, or pride, or power, or the stuff of this world, all of those things that we set up in our lives and people set up in their lives as idols are utterly useless when we need them the most. Because when we need them the most, what we are seeking is that which only God can do and accomplish and work in our lives. The second thing we see is the work of God receiving priority. In verse 2, we see a reordering of the worship of God according to what God has decreed, in this case, what he decreed in the Old Testament law. But God also does, does this in our lives as we live lives fully surrendered to him so that we worship him according to his holy word. We worship him in the way that he has commanded us. And most of all, as John 4, 24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We worship God in spirit and in truth. And then one of the ways we see this working out in our lives as we give priority to God and the things of his kingdom is through worship, which involves the giving of financial resources. Do we understand that our giving of financial resources should be an act of worship? Do we understand that? It's why we include in every one of our services the act of giving, bringing forward our tithes and offerings, and we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we pray after we conclude the doxology, all things come from you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. Do we understand as an act of worship that all that we have is from the Lord and we are simply returning to him a portion of that with which he has blessed us? And here in 2 Chronicles, we see this beginning at the highest levels of leadership, but then extending to all the people. Verse 3 begins with the contribution of the king. But it was the giving of all of God's people that funded this ministry to the Lord and the work of the people of God. It was the faithful worship through stewardship of their temporal wealth and possessions with which God had blessed them, which funded the work of God's kingdom. Did you hear that? It was their worship through giving of that with which God had blessed them that funded the work of God and God's kingdom. They didn't sell chocolate bars. They didn't sell candles. They didn't hold a raffle to make money to fund the work of the Lord. 
It came through the faithfulness of God's people, through God's provision, and giving as an act of genuine worship. Third, making God's provision a priority means giving to God first. Look at verse 5 with me. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits. Did you hear that? The first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all of the produce of the field. Biblical stewardship of our finances means God receives first priority just as we see demonstrated here. If our heart's desire is continued and growing surrender to God, if we truly recognize, brothers and sisters, that all that we have is from His gracious hands, then out of loving worship, we will give. We will give to God first, not out of constraint, not with some sense of drudgery or an Eeyore face, but because we are joyful about participating in the work of God and honoring Him by giving back a portion of that with which He has blessed us. And we give to God first, right off the top, the first fruits, not, not the leftovers. And again, we will do this as an act of worship in which we experience great and genuine joy. I want to speak to parents about um, instilling this in our children. And this is not Father Scott trying to wrench every penny out of the congregation. That is not what this is about. It's not. It's really, truly not. But this is a godly practice and a spiritual discipline and an act of worship which we need to train up our children in. So for those of you who are parents with younger children, here's what I suggest. Get four jars or four containers. Put them in their bedroom in a prominent place. Mark the first one, tithe. Mark the second one, save. It's good to save money and not be a spendthrift. Then spend. And a fourth jar for giving, which would be above and beyond the tithe. And then when grandma gives the kids a couple dollars, teach them and instruct them from the earliest age where they have an understanding of these things to set apart a tithe and save, and then they have a certain amount for spending and giving. And let me speak to our, our youth and young adults. Um, it doesn't get easier to tithe and give in a disciplined way as an act of worship when you have more money. Yes, as someone just said, it gets harder inculcating this discipline and this practice in your life when you have a part-time job or even before that as you get money mowing a lawn or that sort of thing, it's really, really important. Again, not because I'm trying to wrench every penny out of you, but because it's a godly discipline. It's an act of worship. It's an act of recognizing what God has done and is doing in your life. And if you, I would assure you, and not to be boastful, but from personal experience. You know, I came to the Lord when I was 17 and I found great joy in giving the very little I had in terms of a tithe to the Lord. But I assure you, if you establish that practice and that act of worship now, it's much easier to grow in it. It doesn't happen all of a sudden, oh, I've got a full-time job, I need to start tithing. You can always find reasons not to give the Lord priority with the provision he's given us. Fourth, priority means giving to God fully. 
Look at the second half of verse 5 through verse 9 with me. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in the tithe of cattle and sheep and the tithe of the dedicated things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God and laid them in heaps. In the third month they began to pile up the heaps and finish them in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. And Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. Giving to God fully according to scripture is giving a full 10%. This is the biblical tithe. This principle is consistent in the Old and the New Testament throughout God's word. A tithe, 10% of everything that God provides for us. Everything we have. And God only asks for a minimum of 10% back. That's an amazing thing to think about. And if you haven't practiced tithing in the past, I would challenge you to step out in faith and move in that direction. Let me tell you, because this is, anyone who has tithed for any length of time will tell you this, and it doesn't make sense in the natural, you have to step out in faith and trust the Lord, but you will find that that 90% goes further than the 100%. Malachi 3.10 reminds us, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. The people under Hezekiah tithed to the Lord. They tithed of all with which the Lord had blessed them. And their giving encompassed a worship of tithe of the produce of the entire growing season, not just one point in the season. Verse 7 really points this out in a way that would be easy to miss in our day. They're in, giving, they're in gathering encompassed the third through the seventh month, the entire growing season from May when lentils and barley were harvested in wheat, they harvested, in June, they harvested wheat. In September, they harvested dates and olives and, or excuse me, dates and grapes. And then in October, the final harvest was olives. But the idea here is of the whole tithe, a percentage of all that the Lord gives us and blesses us with, no matter what the income source, no matter what the time of year or the season, that we do this across the seasons. And then finally, giving priority to God's provision means that God indeed does provide. Look at verse 10. Azariah, the chief priest who was of the house of Zadok, answered him, since they began to bring the contributions into the house of the Lord, we have eaten and had enough and have plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people so that we have this large amount left. When we surrender to the Lord to God recognizing not only with our heads, but also with our heart and with our actions that all that we have is from him, we will, by God's grace and power, align ourselves more fully with his will because he's at work in us. And he will conform, if you will, even those nooks and crannies, those recesses in our lives, more and more into his will, more and more to reflect his image, to reflect his holy character. And as we live lives fully surrendered to him, 
we will indeed see his provision in ways far beyond what we can imagine. I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about getting rich, but we will find and experience God's miraculous and daily provision in wonderful ways. Many of you know I was ordained in another denomination prior to the Anglican Church in North America. And as I was a young adult, college student, young adult, um, really wrestling with the call to vocational ministry, I would sit and talk with a retired minister and his wife who were in their 80s at that time. They're with the Lord now, named Wallace and Marie Odom. Wallace Odom went on to um, denominational leadership um, throughout the region, but they were originally from southwestern Virginia. And back in the late 1930s, Wallace and Marie Odom were called by God to go and serve a congregation in an area called Saltville. Does anybody know? Will Powers might know where Saltville is. Um, Will's from down in that part of Virginia. That just, so did somebody raise their hand? Saltville? Lucia knows where Saltville is. It's still there. It's off of I-81, way, 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 way down almost to Bristol, down in that part of southwestern Virginia. Well, the Odoms went to a church in the country outside of Saltville on a road called Poor Valley Road, if that gives you any indication. <laughs> um, but they would share with me, as I was wrestling with a call to ministry, about that being the first place where God called them. They went to a church that had, had split right before they came, an unfinished church building with no windows in it, and a two-room parsonage or what in Anglican parlance we would call a rectory. I didn't say two bedroom. I said two rooms with no electricity or indoor plumbing and a newborn baby daughter. And they would sit there with all, and this is years and years later. What's that? They had a well and a privy, we'll call it, outside. <laughs> and they... They said to me more than one time, of all the places we've done ministry, we had to give them all up save one. We would go back to that little church in Poor Valley because that's where God taught us to trust him. And then one time they added, and he met all of our needs and a whole lot of our wants too. When we surrender to God, God's call on every one of our lives, not just those who are called to vocational ministry. We're all called to ministry. When we surrender to God, when we spend time in worship, when we spend God in time in his presence, God transforms us and he conforms us more and more to his image. And as our lives are more fully aligned with him, he will give us great joy in doing his will, including with stewardship, financial stewardship, and all other areas of life, of our lives, knowing, knowing with grateful hearts that all that we have and all that we are is from his gracious hand. Let us pray. So Father, fill our hearts with joy and gratefulness. Fill our hearts to overflowing with thanksgiving because all that we have and all that we are is from you. And Lord, lead us and guide us as you conform us to your holy character. 
to lives of ever-increasing surrender, of fuller conversion of heart, so that any idols or remnant of them in our lives would be cast down and put away, and that we would yield ourselves more and more fully to you. Lord, do this in our finances. Do this with every gift and talent that you've given us so that we are filled with great joy, that we can experience your faithful, gracious provision, and that we would be more fully yours each day of our lives. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.